But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. We've looked at these series of dreams that Joseph had, and again, like I told you originally in the beginning of the series, it's very easy to just read through, kind of blaze through these, and, and we get warm and fuzzy and sentimental because it's the Christmas story. But I've asked you to look a little bit deeper, and we're, what we've been doing is looking at the dream and then immediately looking at the prophecy that Matthew attaches to the dream to hopefully take you down a little bit deeper into the significance of what is being presented. Matthew's gospel is about the kingdom of God. And the gospel, very simple, gospel in Greek is euangelion, and that word means it is an announcement. So the gospel is an announcement. Announcement of what? A single uh, subject. The king, the Messiah, the ruler of Israel, the one that was been expected since Genesis chapter 3, the seed that would bruise the head of the serpent. Since that time, he has finally arrived. He has been born. And the directions to Bethlehem and all follow. And Joseph has this extraordinary series of of four dreams. That's why it fits nicely into Advent because you can do it over four weeks and many people do. By tying Joseph with the dreams, what Matthew is doing immediately, signaling the readers, think of what Joseph they would have thought of. He's signaling the readers, remember Joseph that went into slavery into Egypt because his brothers, the other 11 sons of Jacob, or 10 sons of Jacob, sold him into slavery. And he went there in weakness and brokenness to precede them and become the ruler of Egypt under Pharaoh. He became his regent, his prime minister. And so that whole imagery would have popped into somebody's mind. Oh, we've got a Joseph and he's having dreams. What's the dreams about? The dreams are about the king, the second exodus coming out of exile and into the promised land. And then he ties them with these amazing scriptures. He tells Mary, he tells Joseph in the first dream, don't shrink from taking Mary. Take her as your wife. Adopt Jesus as your son. Cover them with your uh, life and, and sacrifice for them so this child can grow. Why? Because the prophecy is he will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God is with us. It's a battle cry that God will save his people. The second dream, Joseph is told by the angel, flee to Egypt because there was there Herod, this uh, uh, surreptitious king, this king that has usurped the throne of Judah, who was not even a Jew. He was an Edomite. 
the worst side of all of this. And he was now on the throne. He said, they're trying to kill. Flee for your life. Go to Egypt. And so again, the imagery of people being gone in, going into Egypt to be preserved and protected from Pharaoh and from death is the second dream. But what it brings, very disturbing, but what it brings is death. You see, when the king leaves the land and there's no leadership in the land, death descends. And the innocence in Bethlehem, the little boys two years old and under, and there, who knows how many there were, probably not too many, small village and the surrounding areas, but nevertheless, these innocent children were put to death because there was no king in the land. But the king comes back. Herod dies. That's what we looked at last week. And, he's, and the dream is, rise, go back to the land of Israel. The second exodus is explicit now. Here comes the great king. Out of Egypt I've called my son. And we went through verse by verse very carefully, Hosea 11, which is what he was referring to. And I hope it was helpful to you uh, to see that this is where Matthew's taking us in this grand scheme, but also in the details. He's telling us our king has come. He's come back to rescue his people, to save them from their sins. And then this final dream, Joseph and Mary, the holy family, comes back to the land of Israel and they're headed for Judah because they were going to settle in Judah. They, Joseph and Mary knew something special was going on with their son. And they knew he was going to be the king somehow. I don't know. They weren't sure about it, but they had an idea. They had heard enough angels singing. <laughs> they knew what was going on. So they go to Judah, but they hear that Archelaus is reigning in the seat of his father, Herod, who had died. Now, I could, I could spend an hour talking about Herod the Great and his sons, uh, this one and many others. He had a bunch of sons. He killed five of them, killed his favorite wife and her mother. Now, killing the wife is one thing, but his favorite wife? He had more than one. He had a bunch of them. He kills the favorite one. This man was brutal. In fact, the, uh, Josephus records just how wicked he was. And I don't want to get into all of that, but he was an extraordinarily wicked man, Herod the Great, uh, pathologically evil. And Archelaus, his son, didn't fall far from the tree. He was so wicked, so evil, so malicious and brutal in an age when brutality was the norm that the Romans were shocked. And they had removed him from power after a few years. They, they exiled him to, uh, uh, to Gaul and I think to Vienna, if I'm not mistaken. So he was exiled and removed from power because he was so horrible. So Joseph and the angels warning, don't go to Judah, go somewhere else. And he sends him to Galilee, to Nazareth, to this, uh, this out-of-the-way place. Galilee was considered the sticks. And Nazareth was considered the sticks of the sticks. It was the worst possible town. It held a Roman garrison. The people that were there in Nazareth were considered to be collaborators with Rome. It was despised. So think of the worst town, wherever you grew up, the worst town. And, and that was Nazareth. Okay, It wasn't the East Coast. It wasn't the West Coast. It wasn't the elites. It was somewhere down in, in Nowhereville. Okay, And... Uh, and, and when you wanted to insult somebody, you would call them a Nazarene. 
That was a way you insulted them. Uh, so uh, Nazareth was uh, a, a crazy choice. But I'm going to show you this morning that it was the perfect choice. Unbelievable. In fact, of all the dreams, this particular one is my favorite. So um, they settle in Nazareth. And then uh, Matthew makes this astounding statement. Uh, they did this to fulfill the words of the prophets. He will be called or shall be called a Nazarene. Now in the Greek, it's not a Nazarene. It's just he shall be called Nazarene, which uh, gives us a little bit of a clue. The other thing is you can't find the scripture in the Old Testament anywhere, even in extra biblical material, that he will be from Nazareth. So just so you know, it's not in your Bible. Now, that may be causing you some discomfort. But if you're careful, if you're a good student, and if you're uh, a brilliant theologian like me, you right away notice what what the real answer, the answer is that if you look every one of the prophecies that Matthew quotes up till now, he says to the audience, this is to fill the prophecy or the words of the prophet, singular, and then he quotes an exact verse. But here, if you notice very carefully, he said prophets. He's summing up the body of of, uh, literature in the Old Testament about Messiah. And he's saying he's going to be this. From all that we know of the prophets of the Old Testament, the way they described Messiah was a man who was despised, rejected, scorned, held in contempt, looked down on, poor, weak. All of the negatives that you can think of were ascribed to Christ by the Old Testament prophets, not even knowing really the way it was all going to shape and look, but they had an inkling that this one was going to come and not only come in power, but also in this strange paradox of weakness. Both powerful, but extraordinarily weak. Power under control. Power held back. Very interesting. So let's look at just two things this morning. I'm going to try to do this quickly. We're going to look at, first of all, the weakness of power. I think the text is, is telling the audience and us that power is really weak. The weakness of power. Secondly, we'll look at the power uh, of weakness. So look at 19 and 20, the first couple verses. Herod dies, an angel appears, get up, take the child and go back to Israel. You know, the Old Testament goes to extremes. Those of you that have read the Old Testament, even if you've read it just once, but if you've read it and studied the Old Testament, you know that from the beginning of the Old Testament, God goes to extremes to never use overwhelming force 
of an army to conquer anything or anybody. In fact, he does the opposite. He, sh- he shaves down the side. Think of Gideon. He had a big army. Then he shaves them down to 300. You know, he, he gets them down to a small group. Or he does something incredibly weak, like pick a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to have a baby. You know, he does these things. And he, he does them over and over and over again. He picks David who was in the book of Kings, the eighth son. Knowing the way they use numbers, the seventh son would have been the perfect son. Right? But he doesn't pick the seventh son. He picks the eighth son, which would have signaled everybody, ah, that's the, that's the leftover. That's the runt of the litter. That's the least desirable. That's the one we leave with the sheep. That's the one of no account. Look at Eliab. He's the handsome one. He's the six foot five, big strapping boy. And I mean, even uh, uh, Samuel was taken in. He says, well, this has got to be the anointed of the Lord. And God said, don't look at the outside. Look at his heart. I've looked at the heart. I want you to keep going. And he keeps going. When it comes to David, it must have been scandalous. The eighth son, everyone, who is this? And sure enough, he goes and becomes the great king. Listen to this verse from the Old Testament. And, and I, what I did was I put a number of them. I had to quit counting. I ran out of time. I was counting all the verses where God told them, be weak, don't go strong, trust me, go against innumerable odds, just don't worry, don't worry, don't, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And I ran out. So I'm just going to give you a few. When you go to war and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than yours, do not be afraid. The Lord your God is with you. Does that sound familiar? Now that's from Deuteronomy. Emmanuel, God is with you. Don't be afraid. So what Isaiah told told, uh, uh, Ahaz not to be afraid of the Syro-Ephraimite coalition, he's just repeating more scripture. Don't be afraid. God is with you. He's on your side. Not no matter what, but he's on your side. He will go to war for you. He's the one who brought you out of Egypt. He recalls this amazing event. The king is not saved by his great army. This is a different scripture from a different place. Uh, but, and the warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse, listen to this. The war horse is a false hope. By its great might, it cannot rescue. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in what? The name of the Lord our God. That's all we need. The name of the Lord our God. So what Matthew is telling us and setting us up for uh, is that power, and let me be very clear, power is an illusion. You can think you have power, but every one of you that know anything about anything have looked at world history, church history, your own personal history. Power is an illusion. You think you have it, and you're in the doctor's office, and he tells you, you now have cancer. There's no power on earth that can deal with that other than God, either through medicine or through miraculous healing, whatever it is, but now you're up against something that you have no power. And power is an illusion. You get old, 
You, don't, can't, you can't uh, dunk the basketball like I used to do last year. I could just run right up there and jump, boom, put it down like Michael Jordan or LeBron James or I don't know, some of the newer guys. And, yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. I could jump. I can't jump anymore. And I don't know. It's just I don't have the power. Used to. Look at the text. Herod's dead. Archelaus gets deposed. The Herodian dynasty disappears. Assyria, gone. Babylon, gone. Greece, in debt to the European banks and us. Rome, gone. The world exalts the proud, the arrogant, the rich, the beautiful, the Kardashians. That's what we think. They are, by the way, the Kardashians are the most influ- influential people. The influencers, have you all heard that stuff? Influencers? Of the decade. And what does that say about us? Well, one thing it says is your pastor pays close attention <laughs> to what's going on. Now. All right. The world exalts the proud. Go, you know, the, 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 the arrogant, the rich, the powerful, the beautiful. But we despise often the world now. Christianity, no, but the world despises the weak, the poor, the humble, the broken, the needy, the people that are messed up, the people that are in the gutter. Dr. Ligon Duncan is chancellor of RTS, a seminary I went to. Many of you maybe have heard or or read something by Ligon. Dr. Uh, Ligon Duncan said this. I, I never forgot it when I heard it. I don't know, if he, I don't know where you can find it, but I, I heard him say it. One of the most tragic things to happen to the church, this is the church through history last 2,000 years, one of the most tragic things to happen to the church was that when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, nobody believed him. Because the church has been enamored with power and status and money and influence to this day. We lo- as Protestants, we love to throw rocks at, at, the, at the Roman Catholic Church and say, oh, look how they got, you know, all that, the bad things the Roman Catholic Church got all mixed up with government Look in your own country, folks. You know, a party, depending on what party you're in, they could nominate the devil with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. And the loyalty of political party and a certain group of ideas, you will vote for the devil. Now, you get mad at me. That's my job. We have very little discernment in America. Now, I hope the people of Christ the King are different. We have very little discernment. Are you saying not to vote, Chuck? Oh, no, I'm saying to vote. You may have to vote for the devil. In fact, in the next election, you will have to vote for two devils. You know that, don't you? Please say yes, you know that. I mean, come on. All right. I'm going to vote. I'm going to pick my devil and vote for my devil. But I'm not going to be deceived into thinking that power is my way. 
I'm old enough to know that it has been taken away many times. I voted for people who didn't get elected. And I've had a strong body that has been broken. And I've had money and I've lost money. And all of you have too. You know what I'm talking about. This is our experience and our reality. And you must not trust money or power or influence. They will not help you. Now, if you get put into a place of power or influence, use it for God and for the kingdom of God. Of course, if you can elect somebody that will, will do some good in this world, elect that person. But your hope, your dreams, your heart, what beats inside of you has got to be nothing less than the King of glory. Because only He will leave you undisappointed. The church, listen, I'm going to be very honest with you, i got nothing to lose because I'm old. And I only have a few years left of ministry. The church never, 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 never thrives when it has power. Political power, money, influence, it always comes back to bite us. Do you understand? Thank you. Okay, I want to make sure you said, look, we're coming up to an election, right? Matthew is talking to us. He's telling, you know, power is not the way. Now, if you get it, fine, use it, but it's going to go away at some point. You understand that, right? We're not always going to have power. I just read to you a whole, a whole list of empires that are gone, completely gone. So take that in. Be a good citizen in your country, but put your hope in Jesus Christ. I'd be a lousy pastor if I told you anything else. Okay. Christmas points us radically to the true power. And Jesus did the most amazing thing and He said we must do it too. And that's why I'm saying this. To gain power, you must give it up. You must become a servant to all. All without exception. And that is the message of your Bible. That's the message of the New Testament. And so power is not something we should ever crave. We get it, we use it. If we don't, we go on and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yes? Yes. Jesus came to people. The reason God had Him settle in Nazareth was to prove to us, the church, to prove to us on every single day of our life, when we're high and when we're low, when we've got money and when we don't, when our health is good and when it's not. The Apostle Paul said, whether I live or whether I die, I have Jesus. I can't lose. Do you understand that? I don't care who wins the next election. I mean, I have my preferences, but I will tell you this. Please take this in. Because it's the only thing that will drive out an idol. No matter who wins the next election, no matter what happens in your life, do you realize life and death, the two extremes of our existence, my friends, that we win, that we cannot be hurt, that you cannot be touched. They can take your money. They can take your family. They can take your kids. They can take your home. They can take everything from us. Even our guns. 
They can take everything from us, but they can't take Jesus. And when you die on your... And I've been at bedsides, sadly, many people since being a pastor. I'm there. You know what they have when they die? Nothing. Not even you. You're standing there holding their hands, but they leave you. You can't hold them, can you? Have you ever been there and you've watched someone slip away? And you're holding and your heart's bursting into a million pieces, but they go. Because death is a power that we all fear. And it's real. Jesus is the only true power and He went to Nazareth and became a Nazarene. He became Nazarene. He became low and despised so that we could never be crushed by lowness or by despisedness or by shame or by being broke or by being out of power or by being the wrong color or by being the wrong, uh, whatever uh, you want to call it, maybe the, 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 the wrong size and shape. I mean, not everybody can be a perfect proportion like me. <laughs> All right. The weakness of power. Don't be deceived. What about the power of weakness? Very quickly, look at verse 21 and 23. Joseph returned... He finds out Archelaus is in Judah, so he goes to this place out in the country, way out in the middle of nowhere, called Nazareth in Galilee. Galilee was nowhere, and Nazareth was nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. So really remote and, uh, and nothing there. And, uh, and then, you know, Matthew says this fulfills the prophets, all of what they were talking about. He's going to be Nazarene. He's going to be contemptible, low, not strong. He's not going to come with an army. His army came when he got born. That was that group of angels. It wasn't a choir. It was the host. That means the army. And they were beating their shields and they were crying out, Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And they're ready for battle. And do you know what's interesting? Jesus, think about this. He never called them. Do you remember? He said, I can call, I can call all these legions but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And he didn't do it. They were there beating their shields and saying, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, he's with us. We're going into battle. And then Jesus says, no, wait. And in he goes. So we live, folks, and I, and, and I want to finish with this, and I want you to listen carefully because this is perhaps one of the most important things that you will ever learn and will carry you through some of your most difficult times if you will embrace this truth. And that is that the gospel tells us that we live in a period called already what? Not yet, thank you. How many times have I said it, Gary? Like a thousand times. Already not yet. The kingdom came with Christ, but He went and He left us here. And He said, go and preach the gospel to all the world. In other words, recapitulate Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Go back and fill the world up with goodness and glory. Do you get it? And the tension remains. And to be a Christian means you will live in tension. Perhaps every moment of your life. 
you will have some degree of tension between you and the world. It will be there in many ways. It'll be there differently for Chuck than it will be for some of you because there are certain things I don't have a problem with uh, that other people will have a problem with. You know, I, I, whatever the thing is or the things are in your life that you struggle with, uh, in the world, Jesus said you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they'll persecute you. And he's not just talking about worldly powers. You know, on the way over here, Marty V and I are praying in the car, and we're praying against Satan, against the devil, and against his lies, and against his desire to sow seeds of discord in our church and among our people, and among our, in our marriage, and in other ways, in our children's lives. That the enemy is real. The, the, the powers of darkness out here in the, in the world, these worldly forces, are just an expression, a, a, a human expression of those things. And Jesus is saying, if they persecuted me, these demons and devils and liars and spiritual forces, they will persecute you, and they do. Many of you know, you've felt that darkness come in and that cloud of doubt and fear and what should I do? And if I am, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? They do persecute. So the tension remains. But the answer, listen, the, the whole message of Nazareth, the, the idea of Nazareth, to go to, the, go to the weakest, the lowest, the last, the least, the lost, to go to the place that nobody would go, to come and serve in El Paso, not to move. Do you hear me? Do not move from El Paso. Oh, no, we're going to get out of here as fast as we can. You're leaving Nazareth for somewhere that God is not going to be there. It's my last plea of 2019. <laughs> Please stay. Help us. We need you. I'm not the only one doing this. I mean, Tim Keller for 35 years has been asking people stay in Manhattan. People go to Manhattan to make their career. Then they leave Manhattan. They go back and they're big stuff. And he says, no, come to Manhattan. Stay small stuff and stay here and help us. And I'm begging you, stay if you can. Help us. Dig in. This is Nazareth for us. This is the world broken. It needs us. Embrace the tension of the already, not yet. Listen to this. I piece these together. Listen. Consider your calling. Not many wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many noble. God chooses what's foolish to shame the wise. What's weak to shame the strong. What's low and despised to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no one may boast in, the, in anything other than the Lord. No one can boast. We can't say, look at all this property we have. Look at all these millions we have. Look at what an amazing pastor we've got. He's like so eloquent. It just, we just weep all through the service. And You get the idea? I mean, come on, folks. It, it's not about that. And if you think you have nothing to offer, you're, the, you're on top of the list. If you think, I've got nothing to offer, you're at top. You're at the top. Jesus wants you. You're the one He's thinking about. Not the person out there that's got loads of gifts. If you have loads of gifts, you need to use them. But if you're thinking, I don't have any gifts, oh, yes, you do. Just start doing stuff and watch what happens. It's amazing, amazing. 
So how do you live in the tension of the already, not yet? Here it is. And I've given you this before, but I, I can't pass it up. Every few years I've got to bring this up. How do you live in the tension of the already, not yet? You know, there's a picture in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. It's a, it's a typical nativity scene that you all know, Joseph, Mary, the Magi, everybody's there, and the baby in a manger. And they bring it out every year and they put it up. And, and in this picture, the thing that's unique about this piece of art that was made, I think it was in the 18th century, uh, and I can't remember the author, uh, you can look it up online. Behind the manger, it's, it's typical in every way, but behind the manger, you see the ruins of the Roman columns. The greatest empire that had ever existed up till that time. And when I saw it, when I saw the picture, I wrote this down. All that Jesus had to do to conquer Rome the greatest power the world had ever known. All he had to do was be born. Just be born. And his birth, just that birth, that poor, wretched manger, filthy, who knows what was going on in there. And he's poor, and his parents are poor, and his mother was pregnant before wedlock. Everything wrong with it. Everything wrong. The picture is counterintuitive. And just his birth, he conquers the world. And he says, come with me. The weak one, the broken one, the one that's going to really go low for you. Who has believed our report? This is Nazareth. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form, no beauty that we should look at Him. No attractiveness that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man acquainted with sorrow, familiar with grief. As one whom... Men hide their faces from. We don't want to see that. We esteemed him not. Surely, certainly, he has borne our grief, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him the punishment that brought peace between us and God. By His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him Nazareth. The sins of us all. This Christmas, let it be a special Christmas for you. If you know Jesus Christ, go into 2020 with, with a blaze of fire and say, I am going to, every, every weight and sin, I'm going to throw it off and I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to be the best church member, the best American citizen, the best neighbor, the best worker, the best friend. I'm going to let Jesus Christ just 
blaze out of my life in every area where I live, work, and play. Those of you in the journey know what I'm talking about. Everywhere. Let this year be that year for you. Give yourself to this broken one who died for you and me on the cross. Gave it all for us. And I hope you'll trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. It boggles our mind that Jesus went to Nazareth. He could have gone anywhere. He could have gone to Manhattan, and He didn't. He could have gone to L.A. He could have gone to Austin. He didn't go. He went to Nazareth. He came to the least, the last, and the lost. That's us. And we're begging you, Father, please, by the power of your Spirit, I'm praying for for our church, our church family, that we will cast off the, the junk of this world and run to Jesus and find him there, the powerful and great one now as he rose from the dead. And he will never leave us and forsake us. So please, Father, uh, by the power of your Spirit, I pray that you will help us to do that in this new year. May that be our prayer not just the resolve of our will, but the submission of our will to you and to your Son. We pray this in His great name. Amen.